Good afternoon. What a privilege to be here to worship together and be instructed by our God uh, once again. Uh, Our sermon for this service focuses especially on uh, the nature of the church, uh, the people of God, and each of our roles in the church. And so with that in mind, our call to worship is from uh, the psalm we're about to sing together. Uh, Psalm 134, uh, verses 1 and 2. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. As we gather to worship and exalt the name of our great God, uh, we come confessing our dependence once again. Congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And the Lord greets us with his blessing from Scripture. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please join with me in singing Psalm 134, uh, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. before our God in prayer and we'll ask him for a blessing on our worship this afternoon. Let's pray. Awesome God, almighty heavenly Father, Lord you are a God who is worthy of praise. We thank you and we praise you that you've called us and you've equipped us to praise you. Lord, we desire to glorify you and to enjoy you forever as we were created to do. So Lord, as we gather together in worship, we come not by ourselves, but we come with many friends and many families and with our whole church family as well. We gather together to bless you and lift up our hands in prayer and praise. And Lord, as we do this, we humbly ask that you will bless us. May our praise be satisfying and delightful to you. Lord, may you please use it for us as well. Lord, we uh, know your good news is spelled out so plainly for us in your word. And we know and we believe when you tell us that it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. By your grace, Lord, we do believe and we ask that you will help us in our unbelief. We ask that you'll thoroughly equip us to grow up into maturity and in the fullness of Christ, our head. Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to be called uh, the body and bride of Jesus Christ. Lord, this is such a high title that you've given us, and it's one we can't live up to, can't even begin to on our own. And so, Lord, we ask that you will equip us, fill us up with your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you'll equip us by your word as well. We pray all these things only in the name of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.
Our scripture reading for this service is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 31. And so we'll be focusing, as I mentioned, on the church and on our individual roles in it. And so this is a very well-known passage that speaks about that clearly. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. First Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Yet as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I'll show you still a more excellent way. So far, our reading of scripture for now. Uh, Let's sing together in response uh, Psalm 141, and there you'll notice uh, the words ask the Lord to receive our worship, but also to bless each of us by keeping us away from sin and by surrounding us with people who will build us up and rebuke us and encourage us in the service of the Lord. We'll sing Psalm 141 together, verses 1 through 4.
In our second services, we work through the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, a teaching tool from about 500 years ago uh, that summarizes the teaching of Scripture. And today we come to Lord's Day uh, 21, uh, which addresses uh, what we believe when we confess in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe in a holy Catholic Christian church and the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. And today, in this service, we'll focus on uh, the holy Catholic Christian church and the communion of saints. Uh, But we'll read the whole Lord's Day. Uh, As we read this, then please remember this is our confession based on the holy word of God. So what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word and the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. This is our confession. Brothers and sisters, how do you feel about plants? I personally, I really enjoy plants because I think they show something really amazing about the beauty and the creativity of our God, our God who made and designed them all. But how do you feel about taking care of plants? I know that some of you love taking care of plants and some of you are very gifted at it. But personally, I can't stand taking care of plants. Uh, Some uh, plants that I've had, people assured me when they gave them to me that they were unkillable. And I proved that wrong very quickly. They absolutely are killable. But I do have some friends who love plants, and I always uh, respect them for that. Because you can go to their house and ask them about all these different plants they have, all uh, the, the different facts about them they know. Uh, Maybe they have different names for them, or they know their real names. They can tell you what they're doing for these plants, how they're making them flourish. They'll tell you, oh, this plant wasn't very happy before when I had it over there, but then took it out, I repotted it, I I gave it some food, and uh, now it's doing great. And that's a really beautiful picture, I think. That's what I was reminded of when I studied the topic for this afternoon. Uh, Not just the care that my friends give for their individual plants, but rather the wonderful care that our Lord Jesus Christ gives for all of us, as individuals in his church. That's because if you're familiar with God's word, you'll know he compares himself to a farmer, to a vine dresser who cares for his people like plants. As individuals, he he knows us and he loves us and cares for us. He he knows how to feed us and water us. He knows when to uproot us and move us and he knows how to prune us, to watch over us and bring forth incredible fruit. And that's kind of what we're considering this afternoon, uh, that Christ cares for his church. I wrote down before Christ governs his church, but I think Christ cares for his church uh, better summarizes the teaching uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and also from uh, Lord's Day 21. So Christ cares for his church. And we'll see what this means, first of all, for stronger members, and then secondly, what it means for weaker members, and then a little bit of a reflection on what it means for office bearers, because that's where Paul ends up at the end uh, of this section of Scripture. So first of all, what this means for stronger members. So there's a big problem in the church of Corinth that you need to know to understand this book. Uh, well, there are a number of big problems, but one of them was this. Uh, the people started to look around at their church family, and they started to look around at the God-given gifts that people had, and they started to elevate certain members and certain gifts over others. So for example, you can see in the second letter to the Corinthians, uh, you can read about the so-called super-apostles. Uh, These teachers were coming into the church after uh, Paul had left. And these teachers, they were bold and they were charismatic and they were boastful in a way that Paul wasn't. And the Corinthians liked that. Uh, They liked to listen to these men. And so they started thinking, maybe 
maybe these guys should lead the church. Uh, you can also read in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 that some in Corinth were aligning themselves with certain other leaders who were tre- uh, preaching the true gospel. Uh, Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 1, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. And Peter, uh, Paul asks, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And likewise, in this chapter we just read and the surrounding uh, chapters as well, there seem to be hints that the Corinthians were emphasizing some spiritual gifts above others. In particular, it seemed they valued the gift of speaking in tongues, speaking different languages than the ones that they knew, uh, something that the Lord poured out after Pentecost. They valued these things over other uh, less showy gifts like wisdom and knowledge and other things that Paul mentions here. And I hope you can see that these weren't just problems for the church back then, but they're very real problems in the church today. Uh, We can value certain gifts over others, and we can start to follow and align with certain gifted people and leaders rather than focusing on Christ and the gospel and what he's doing in his church. So Christ comes to his people with a message uh, through the inspired Apostle Paul. Some people are, are puffed up, and they're starting to think that they or that other Christians, that they are supremely gifted. And they think that uh, they alone, it seems, are kind of God's gift to the church, God's gift to his people. In other words, they seem to think that they're indispensable, that the church needs them. Perhaps they're even starting to think, though I suspect they would never say it, perhaps they're starting to think that even Jesus Christ needs them, that he needs their service. I read a book one time that warned pastors and office bearers, but really it was targeted just at all Christians. And it warned all Christians about this kind of a mindset. It presented the message this book did, that you and I, that we must remember that we are not indispensable. It encouraged all Christians to step back and remember, ultimately, in this world, in this city, in our lives, in human history, who is the one who is at work? It's certainly not me and you who are here for just a few decades, but really there's something much bigger, much grander going on. Christ has been working for generations, for centuries, for millennia in this word, the world. Christ has been working in Chilliwack long before you or I or our families got here. He has been working in Canada long before we got here. He's been working in this whole world, all around it, from every tongue and tribe and nation. Been working in the world from its beginning to its end. And unless he returns, Christ will still be working here long after you and I are gone. When people don't even remember us, they don't talk about us anymore. And the message of that book was clear. It's God, ultimately, we should remember. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He's working on a great, universal, worldwide plan for his ultimate glory and for the good of his people, and he will accomplish it. He's redeeming his people and gathering and defending and preserving them from every tongue and tribe and nation. And you and I, by God's grace, we get to be included. Not that we're needed, but that we are wanted. You and I just get to play a tiny little part in God's ultimate plan of salvation, of his own glory, of his own grace. And so this book, the the main calling of it, was for Christians like us to relax. We have really busy lives. We can be really hectic. We can act like the whole world depends on what we're doing. This book was reminding us it doesn't. The world depends on what Christ is doing, what Christ has already done. And it was supposed to be humbling and freeing. The book challenged us if we're exhausted on the time, all the time, if we're filling up every moment of every day, every evening, if we're working so hard in the church that we're neglecting ourselves, our, our personal uh, faith, uh, our family, and we're feeling guilty, we can't do more. The book said just slow down for a minute. Who is the savior of the church? It's not you and it's not me. God doesn't need you or me. We can praise him uh, that he's willing and happy to use us, but he certainly doesn't depend on us. So the advice for Christians today was, for example, if you really need a break, you can take a break. It doesn't all, God's plan doesn't hinge on you. The Lord calls us to a day of rest each week. We can take the day of rest. We shouldn't try and be wiser than God. He can do it without us. Sometimes that can be, feel hard to believe, but it's 
It's true. We have to confess. It's true. Faithfully, we can do the task that God has put in our path and we can work very hard. The Apostle Paul surely did. But when he did, Paul remembered, and we can remember too, you are not called to be the great hero of your family. You're not called to be the great hero of your husband or wife. You're not called to be the great hero of the church. Jesus Christ is the great hero of our families. He's the great hero of the church. He's the great hero of this world. And ultimately, our job is to serve him and point others to him and find in him their savior. And I hope you see that's humbling, but also deeply freeing. It frees us to trust the words of Ephesians 2 verse 10 uh, that we read a couple of weeks ago. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we are God's work of art. He made us a new creation, and he frees us to do just the work that he has planned beforehand, the work he sovereignly puts on our path. And we work hard, and we do it to the best of our ability and to his glory, and then at the end of the day, we can go to sleep. We can rest. At the end of our life, we don't have to worry about what we've accomplished. We know it depends on what Christ has accomplished. Trust him when he says that he is the one governing, caring for his church, and he's pleased to use me and you as tiny little members of a massive plan of redemption. This is why we confess in Lord's Day 21, I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word and the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. The Son of, the, of God is the one caring for his church, not me or you. And that's the message for those who think that they're the greatest or the most important to the church, even if they wouldn't confess it. Those who feel that way. Christ is the one caring for his church. And how closely is he caring for it? Well, we get a remarkable answer in our text. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, uh, there you'll see something that John Kelvin notes. Paul is talking about the body. We can all understand what a body looks like. And he's talking about you and me. He's talking about Christ's church. But in verse 12 of our text, he has a very amazing statement. Paul says there, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with, you would expect him to say, with the church. But that's not what he says. He says, so it is with Christ. And so Christ is doing this great global work over the generations with every tongue and tribe and nation. But he's doing it so personally and so intimately that this local church is called Christ. It's identified with him as his body. You and I identified as parts of Christ himself. So in one sense, we're not vital. The church doesn't depend on us, on our success, and it doesn't de depend on our work. And that's great news for you and me and for teachers and parents and just church members and office bearers and everyone else. And yet, I hope you can see something really amazing here. Because God, through the Apostle Paul, he could have done essentially what my book did. Seeing Corinthians who were overvaluing certain people and certain gifts, and uh, seeing people who were overvaluing their own gifts, Paul could have come in and knocked them all down a peg, right? And said, hey, look what Christ is doing. You're not that important. You're not that big of a deal. But look what Paul does instead. It's actually, in a sense, the opposite, isn't it? That's what we see in our second point. What this means for weaker members. So he doesn't say, none of you are that important. Instead, he says that we all, every single one of us who confesses Christ, he says we are all a part of Christ. We are all part of his own body. So Paul doesn't turn to the big shots who think they're really important and say, you're not so important. But instead, he turns to those who think, those guys are the important ones. Me, not so much. And instead, Paul says, no, no, you are crucially important too. In fact, Paul says, even to the lowest, the seemingly weakest Corinthians, those who feel the lowest, those who feel the lowest today too, Paul says, you are absolutely indispensable. Of course you are. You are united to Christ by faith. You are a part of Jesus Christ's own body, the church. If you look at verse 22 in our text, you'll see the amazing truth there. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, Paul says, 
are indispensable. The simple message, the one that we really all should know, Paul spells out for us. Christ loves all of his body. Every single part. He's committed to all of his body. He's using all of his body and equipping them. He's defending and caring and preserving for every member of his body. He loves you and me and everyone who believes in him, no matter how weak and frail and unimportant we feel. He, Jesus Christ, the, the Lord over all, he values us so highly, of course, as we know. He came and took on flesh, and he let that body be beaten and broken for us. And why? Well, Paul makes it so clear here. To make us part of his spiritual body. To unite us with him. Him as our head. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5, for every part of his body, Christ nourishes it and he cherishes it. Paul says, nourishes it and cherishes it. You are nourished and cherished by Christ himself. Again, I'm reminded of my friends and their little plants that they care for uh, so uh, carefully. Christ's assessment here is clear. It doesn't matter what others think of you. It doesn't even really matter what you think of you. What I think of you is, even if you're the weakest, part of my body, you are indispensable. And we can think of the conversion of the Apostle Paul here. Uh, Paul had been going around when he was still called Saul, and he had been looking for and imprisoning and even killing Christians. And Christ himself interrupted him with the thundering question when he was persecuting his church. Christ asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Likewise, in Matthew 25, uh, Christ gives us a glimpse ahead to Judgment Day when he will rebuke those who he says never fed him when he was hungry, who never gave him a drink when he was thirsty, those who never welcomed him or clothed him or visited him when he was sick or in prison. And he'll commend those who did do these things. And then you can read in Matthew 25, uh, in verse 37, And they, the righteous, will ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Isn't that a profound truth for how the risen Christ our awesome Savior views the least of our brothers, the weakest in the church, those who feel themselves to be weak and insignificant. He says that they are indispensable. Christ Jesus loves his church. He came down to earth to identify himself with us in our sin and misery, to take our punishment and pain and sin. And brothers and sisters, Christ still identifies with his church today. So we can go to Christ when we feel weak or when we're hurting, when we feel small or inadequate, and we can find this incredible truth that the King of Glory counts you as indispensable. Doesn't that just make your heart sing a little bit? Isn't that a beautiful truth? The triune God we see in verses 4 and 5 and 6, the Spirit and the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and God that refers to the Father. So this triune God saves us, and now he cares for us and equips us, and now he wants to use, use us. And so in our evaluation and in the world's evaluation, maybe we're small, maybe we're weak, maybe our contribution to the church isn't that great. Maybe others are better and more suited to the task. But Christ says you're indispensable. He loves you and he claimed you. He purchased you and he wants to use you and he has given you gifts. He makes it abundantly clear. But brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Some of the Corinthians, and maybe some of us, would have trouble going around and saying to those in the church, saying, I really believe that you are indispensable. Uh, others, I think in Corinth and others here today, they would have trouble looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, I really believe I'm indispensable to Christ's church, this great big plan of salvation. But most likely we all struggle, I think, a little bit with both. But it doesn't matter what you say or what I say. Christ says, even those who seem weaker, even those who seem weakest, they're indispensable. I have my gifts and tasks for you all. And I believe that's an implicit challenge for every one of us, uh, especially those who uh, aren't seeing many ways that they are working, serving the church. It's a call for us to step up and trust Christ, that he has a place for each and every one of us. Trust that Christ can work with you, and he is working with you, and he notes that work, and it matters. He cares it, he cares about it, he loves it. When you give a cup of water 
to the least of his brothers. He counts it as you giving a cup of water to himself when he's thirsty. That's the kind of Savior that we serve in the church. What an immense privilege to serve Christ in this way. This is what we confess in Lord's Day 21. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, no exceptions. It doesn't say that, I say that. No exceptions. As members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. And that's interesting language, isn't it? Uh, It's strange. It feels weird to be duty-bound to do something readily and cheerfully. But I think the only way that we can understand that we are duty-bound to do something readily and cheerfully is by looking at Jesus Christ, the great king and equipper himself. When we look at Jesus Christ, when we're looking at him every day, when we look at him on the cross reigning in heaven, all the good that he's done for us, we look at our great Savior and King who loved us and claimed us, who came down and gave his body for us, who came down and said he came fundamentally not to be served by us, but rather to serve us by his life and death and resurrection. The only appropriate response is to lovingly and cheerfully submit to his will for us. Say, yes, Lord, of course I will serve you. Of course I will serve your people as you came down and served me. To do it readily and cheerfully for the Savior who did it willingly for the joy set before him for us. And it's a wonderful privilege as well to realize that when somebody serves you or when you serve somebody else, really it is Christ who is in control. It is Christ who is serving and caring for his church. I read an article this past week and this was written by a man in a Christian family who was going through an incredibly difficult time. And the author explained and that he was amazed because his church had really stepped up in an incredibly powerful way. People had called and they had texted. They brought meals. They offered words of encouragement. Uh, they offered unprompted to watch his kids, to care for them, even to teach their children who were homeschooled. And the author nearly broke down. And when he explained why, it was because he said, Christ is so kind for caring for me like this. And isn't that an awesome response? I was challenged by that. That's not how I usually think about it. The article challenged me to think of times when people in Christ's church, when Christ's people have been kind to me, when they helped me, and it helped me realize it wasn't just them who was helping me, it was Christ who was caring for me through them. Isn't that remarkable? What a Savior we have that he works in our lives in this tangible way. And so, brothers and sisters, we've seen Christ cares for his church. And we've considered what this means for stronger members and also for weaker members. But now let's just cre- briefly consider what this means uh, for office bearers in particular. That's our third and our final point. Now, this might seem a little bit out of place because uh, it's not to say that church leaders and office bearers aren't church members. Of course, they're fundamentally, they're just members of Christ's church. Uh, but notice that this is exactly where Paul goes in the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere when he talks about uh, Christ's gifts for the church as well. In verses 4 and 5, Paul lists a sample of countless varieties of gifts he's given to his people in the church, mentioning they're all given by the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, the Father. He mentions varieties of service, varieties of activities, all given for the common good, he says. And he lists some miraculous gifts uh, throughout, uh, given for a time, some of them, like tongues and miracles. But then he mentions many seemingly ordinary gifts that we wouldn't uh, usually think of anything remarkable at all. He mentions things like wisdom, like knowledge, uh, like a special measure of faith, like even gifts of helping and administrating, he mentions in verse 28. And yet you'll notice in the same breath, he also mentions offices. He mentions apostles and prophets and teachers. And he goes on uh, in Ephesians 4 to talk about this further. He mentions the risen Christ pouring out his gifts on each individual body part of the church. But the first gifts that he mentions there are apostles and prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so when we think of church leaders, I think we can all often think of them in the wrong kind of way. We can think of them as business leaders or officials. We can think that it's the leaders of the church, it's their job to build up the church. But Paul is explaining very clearly, no, it's just one function among many others listed just alongside with every single other person's gift, every other person's task. 
Because Christ cares for his church. He does it by equipping every single one of us, every single part of the body. And the leader's job is actually very different because of that. As Ephesians 4 verse 12 says, he gives these leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so when we, as we are doing now, when we nominate and vote on and appoint new elders and deacons, we're not looking for men who will build up the body of Christ or do the work of ministry, but we're looking for certain body parts that Christ himself is calling and equipping to use them to equip you and me, to equip all the rest of us, so that we might be the body of Christ, building itself up in love. They're called to equip us for the work of ministry, for works of service. And Christ explained this to his disciples too. Uh, His disciples, even though they had been with him for years, learning uh, many things, they still pictured that they would be church leaders that looked a lot like business leaders or like political leaders. They wanted to be the highest and best in the kingdom with the most authority. And the same mistake I think the Corinthians are kind of making. But Jesus explains to them in Matthew chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 25, He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So I hope you can see the the offices in the church, they're primarily an office of service, serving the other parts of the body, equipping them, pushing them along so that they can grow in their role of serving Jesus Christ. And so as we look to nominate and elect and appoint office bearers, let's keep this in mind. How do we know who Christ is calling to equip you to serve, equipping you to help build up the body of Christ, to help you identify and use your gifts as a living member of Christ's body? Thankfully, God tells us how we can start to see who is called to this task. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and I'd encourage you to read them later. We do not have time to go through them. I won't even try. Don't worry. Uh, But if you look over the list, I think that you'll be struck by just one thing. God doesn't tell us to look for gifts in these people, fundamentally. And that is often the church's mistake. Instead, he tells us to look for fruit in these people. Fruits of the Spirit, transformed lives. One of my former pastors told me, and it always stuck with me, That as churches, he feels that we have a tendency to nominate and even elect and appoint sometimes good men to office and even gifted men to office. That's always the temptation. But what the church really needs, he told us, is godly men in office. If you look over those lists, I think you'll see that's true. We need men, as Paul says in Timothy 3, who, who can equip us by being above reproach, by being faithful, devoted husbands, By being sober-minded and self-controlled and respectable and hospitable, gentle, not quarrelsome, among other things. And much is the same for the list for deacons. Uh, Elders, since they are leaders, they are called to maybe have maybe one gift, being able to teach. Maybe that's not a fruit, though I think you could argue that it is a fruit too. But almost all the rest, you could argue, they don't seem to really be gifts at all. And so we we can pray and we can ask that the Lord that we will have gifted leaders. I don't think that's a bad thing. But what we should be longing for, praying for, urging for, is that we'll have godly leaders. That's what we need. And it's not just leaders, of course. We need godly people in this church. We all need to be godly, right? If you look at these lists for office bearers, it's like these aren't remarkable gifts that, oh, I could never have them. But it's things that we should all be striving for. I want to be faithful as a spouse. I want to be above reproach, living my life in service for Christ. The men that we need to serve us and to equip us as each of us work as the body of Christ is men who know Christ, men who teach others about Christ, men who love Christ, who invite people in their home and uh, show them a Christ-like life, men who are devoted to Christ and who by God's grace, by his word and spirit, are beginning to look just a little bit like Christ. The one who truly came and ruled us by serving us the one who served us diligently and self-sacrificially and at ultimate cost to himself. And so now as we're all called to serve him, uh, certain men are called to serve us, to equip us in our service. And so please keep this in mind as you nominate and vote on office bearers. And if you're nominated, then please don't take this lightly. It is an immense privilege, isn't it, to be called by Christ himself to serve his church, his bride, his body, self-sacrificially as he came and served you and me, self-sacrificially. And we can trust and we can pray 
that Christ himself will fundamentally be the one who continues to care for our church. And he'll do it at least in part through the working of just each individual part of the body and through the working in part in the, the gifting, the equipping of office bearers as well. And may we remember that each one of us, all of us, are indispensable according to Christ. He knows us and cares for us. And he left the, if he left the church in the hands of any office bearers on their own for even a few moments, or any one of us for a few moments, all would be lost. His great plan of salvation would fall apart. But thankfully, Christ doesn't care for us like I care for houseplants. But he cares for us a little bit more like how my friends care for houseplants. Jesus Christ knows your name and mine. If you don't know your gift, well, he knows what gift he's given you. He knows what task he has for you. The good things God has planned out for you. Let's pray that he will show us and that he'll feed us and water us and prune us so that we might always more and more bear more fruit. Amen. Let's sing in response hymn 40, uh, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. together in professing our Catholic undoubted Christian faith as we have it summarized for us in the Apostles' Creed and put to music in hymn one.
Let's come to the Lord once again in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God and kind Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ, our head. Lord, it's unimaginable to us that he would come, that Jesus Christ would come and lay down his own life for us, that his body would be broken and bruised so that he might call us his body. Lord, we thank you and we praise you how we can look through your word, how we can look through our lives, and we can see that Christ certainly has been nourishing us and cherishing us. He's been caring for us. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We're amazed at the fact that one of the main ways that Jesus Christ himself cares for us is by working through the members of his body, your people. Lord, we are so thankful for so many members in this church who function in so many ways. Lord, we thank you for your word where you show us that even small, seemingly small acts of service, Christ values very highly. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the countless gifts that you give, gifts of helping and administration, uh, gifts uh, of service, but also uh, other gifts as well. Lord, we, we can't list all of the gifts that you've given us. But Lord, often we also have to admit that we don't even know where our own gifts lie. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the giver of gifts, but Lord, also reveal our gifts. Give us opportunities to step out in faith and to try and use our gifts to your service. And Lord, sometimes we might fail and find that that isn't where you have gifted us. But Lord, help us to always just uh, feel uh, that this is a great privilege to be able to self-sacrificially give of our time and our energy and our service to Jesus Christ, who self-sacrificially gave his whole life for us. Lord, we thank you for your tremendous work of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we praise you that we can rest knowing that we're not the heroes of the church, but rather that Jesus Christ is the hero, the author and perfecter of our salvation. But we ask that you will include us in your great work of salvation, that you will equip us and help us to do the works that you laid out for us beforehand. Lord, we know that Jesus Christ is gathering and defending and preserving his church from all times and all places. Lord, help us to be this to be our longing too. Help us to desire nothing more than to see Christ's sheep be gathered in to be defended when they need it, to be preserved, uh, that they might be fed and cared for, especially when they are weak or when they're suffering. Lord, we pray for this in our church, but in churches all around the world. Uh, Lord, this week in particular, we pray for uh, your people, your sheep, in our whole federation of churches. Lord, we ask that you'll bless our federation, that you'll keep us faithful to Scripture, that you'll continue to raise up godly men as you have been doing, and continue to put them uh, yourself into positions of leadership so that they uh, can make faithful decisions, so that they can equip each of us well uh, for our tasks in the body of Christ. Lord, we also ask in particular this week uh, that you'll bless our classes as we meet. Lord, grant wisdom to the delegates from this church and from uh, the other churches that are around. Help us to be able to uh, decide well. Uh, give us insight into uh, your scriptures. Uh, fill us with an extra measure of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray this for uh, the Federation and for our classes, but also, uh, once again, just for our own church. Lord, you know every member here, and we thank and praise you for that. Uh, because as the church gets bigger, it can be hard to know all the members ourselves. But Lord, we always thank you for new members, uh, uh, new little babies, and other people moving in as well. Lord, we thank you and praise you this week in particular for uh, Simon Eichema, who's returning, and also for uh, Roger and Sylvia uh, Lankake and their son Levi as well. Uh, Lord, please help them to feel at home here very soon. I feel like they are living and active members of the body of Christ, which is exactly what they are. Uh, Lord, please help them be able to recognize their gifts and use them in service to others and be blessed in that way. Uh, but Lord, else help them also to be, uh, feel blessed and equipped and served by the church. Uh, we ask that you'll continue to bless us all, that we all might uh, be fruitful and godly in your service. We ask that you'll bless us with wisdom uh, too, especially as we seek to nominate men for offices once again. Uh, Lord, please make it incredibly clear to us who you yourself are choosing and equipping to serve your church in this way. And Lord, please make it clear as we've prayed already that you, you uh, will show us all how we can serve uh, Jesus Christ, the one who came and served us first. It's in his name alone that we pray all these things. Amen. So once again, in our worship service, we have the opportunity uh, to give our gifts to the Lord. Again, the collection is for Manoah Manor. Uh, you can read about it in the liturgy sheet. Uh, please stand with me if you're able, and let's sing in closing from hymn 50, uh, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.
brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts to the Lord and go home in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.